0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Tangent, bringing you stories from New York City nonprofits and beyond. Today we start with an organization birthed in New York that has a global reach and end with an organization that supports immigrants from around the world as they settle in New York City. It's like a circle. We begin with Kelly Louise. I was lucky enough to have Kelly participate at an event I organized, and she did a wonderful job uh, speaking about the Year of Sustainable Tourism for Development. She was so great, I figured I'd push my luck and see if she talked on the podcast, and she did. Uh, she is the Executive Director for um, Travel Plus Social Good, which is absolutely blowing up. She struggled to give me solid numbers on how big they are because of when we were filming or when we were recording the interview versus when we'd be posting it because uh, it's uh, continuing to expand and add new hubs so we will end with an interview with my uh, co-worker friend and a volunteer for an organization called Brooklyn Center for Quality Life but right now let's get to my interview with Kelly Travel Social Good. So maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and the organization.
1: Perfect. Um, So Travel Plus Social Good is a global nonprofit. And more importantly, we are a community. And our goal is to solve issues like poverty or inequality through business and leisure travel. Um, So we do this through three main initiatives that happen throughout the year, the first of which is a summit the second of which is our hubs, which are local chapters of the organization. And then we also have a media network, which is an alliance of content creators. Um, So each of these kind of work hand in hand to promote um, our goals of sustainable tourism and mainstreaming those initiatives. Um, So what I do is I kind of um, oversee all of those projects. We have more than 140 volunteers worldwide. Um, and we have local chapters in about 20 cities around the world.
0: So you started this organization a few years ago. Was there a eureka moment where you kind of like, I should do that? Or is it something that kind of developed slowly over time, the idea?
1: So I, I graduated from college and I knew that I wanted to work with nonprofits and make a difference in, a, in the world. And I also knew that I wanted to travel And I had an opportunity to go to Uganda, which kind of um, fell in my lap through, like, different connections that I had. And my my major was in in journalism. So everything that I do today, in retrospect, it makes sense because it's all focused on travel and impact and storytelling. But at that time, I was a senior in college, and I was just like, I want to travel, and here's a chance to go to Uganda and work as a journalist. So while all of my friends were applying for jobs, I went to Africa and um, kind of just like jumped into this project, which was the first time that I learned about sustainable tourism and how that could positively impact a community through an everyday action like travel. So I came back from doing that. Um, I, w- I went to Europe as well because I figured, why not? I don't have a job. <laughs> And that is also when my travel blog was born. So I kind of jumped into this like interesting space of learning about sustainable tourism and wanting to travel the world and make a difference um, while kind of learning about everything and experiencing it at the same time. And that all kind of collided and grew into... um, what is one half of my career right now, which is The Culture Collective. It's my travel blog and it's also a creative agency. So I help companies in the travel and impact space amplify their online reach through digital and authentic storytelling. And then at the same time, I'm really focused on community and kind of starting to match these different groups of sustainable tourism initiatives around the world. And so with Travel Plus Social Good, The way that it originally took shape was with a partnership with Plus Social Good, which is a UN Foundation initiative. And when Travel Plus Social Good launched, it was only intended to be a one-time summit and um, really just to explore the relationship and the nexus between travel tech and social good. So I actually wasn't involved for the first two years that it existed. I got involved um, in 2015, which is when we launched um, the Hubs and the Media Network as well. And so it really kind of was like a world colliding sort of situation where everything kind of just aligned at the right time. Um, And there was a lot of momentum and movement for what I was doing and also what was happening organically with Travel Plus Social Good to turn it into something that was bigger and a nonprofit that really functioned throughout the year instead of just being a one-time annual summit.
0: And it's... I was really amazed it's really exploded since then you have you were just telling me earlier what what's the situation with the hubs of different hubs around the country i guess around the world I should say
1: yeah so we're it's pretty exciting we're we're global we We're in i think officially like twenty one or so cities right now, probably by the time this airs it it will be more. <laughs> We have about six to ten applications coming in every month for for people who want to start a hub in their city. Wow. Um, and I think a lot of people, especially if they come to an event or they land on the website, they look at it and they're like, wow, this is really amazing. I can't believe how how many things you guys are doing and how active and involved and engaged your community is. And then they find out that we're volunteers, every single one of us. And so it's a pretty... It's an interesting way to kind of like see that dynamic and how it starts to take shape and how it's happened very organically and very much from a place of people just feel like this is their purpose um, and everyone's building a home for themselves throughout this network.
0: What were some of the differences that you've made or some of the people that you've maybe seen or or met that you've been able to help?
1: We're very much focused on business and leisure travel. So there's no reason that you can't go to New York City or L.A., And make a positive difference when you're visiting an urban destination Um, so our hubs are very much focused on transforming their cities into capitals of sustainable travel and i think it's been such a cool experience to watch cities our hubs like pop up in new york or new orleans or chicago and austin and being an American citizen, you would kind of start to, you know, the nuances between those different cities and you expect them to take shape in certain ways. Um, But then we have a hub like in Kathmandu and we have a hub in Tunisia and we have a hub in Dubai and those are taking shape in very, very similar ways. Like our hub in Tunisia has done Instagram walks. Um, and okay. stuff like what's, that. What's so that?
0: What's an Instagram walk? An Instagram
1: walk, walk just being um, like, let's do a sustainable tour around the city and take photos and use a hashtag and post it on Instagram. And they'll partner with a local influencer and able to really amplify that reach and that message. Um, and so that's something that we've done here in New York as well. Um, and we've partnered uh, with like New York influencers um, and people that um, have... 200,000 followers on Instagram Um, and then our our lead coordinator in Tunisia is messaging me someone and he's like look at this person and he's got amazing photography and he's got 200,000 followers too and so it's such like an interesting dynamic where you see like these similarities in a way that makes us feel a lot more similar and a lot more connected in our mission just from something as simple as Instagram right
0: what are some, do, you have, uh, do you have some favorite initiatives or things that some of the hubs have, have done? Um, now, well, maybe yes. maybe that's an unfair question. Maybe we're <laughs> like, oh, I don't want to make you pick. But. I love them all. Um,
1: <laughs> I need to think of a better word for it because I always describe them in terms of like different flavors.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, I like that. That's a nice way to say it. They
1: all have like their own flavor for what they're doing in their city. Um, and so like New Orleans from the start, they came to us and they were like, New Orleans is a very traditional city. Um, so we want to go about this in a way that like, we want to meet with local stakeholders and figure out like what the issues are here. And their events are more um, like meeting focused and rooted in tradition. And then um, our hub on in Chicago.
0: So actually, so what kinds of stuff did they end up doing in, in uh, New Orleans? Sorry so good job.
1: So one of the things, one of the initiatives that we've developed is um, the TSG coalition. And I think what's really hard with sustainable tourism right now is that when you're going somewhere, even if you're like, I know I want to have a mindful or responsible or purpose driven trip, that can often be very hard to do. And you don't know where to start as far as figuring out like, what actually is positively impacting that community. Um, And this becomes even harder if you're visiting somewhere um, like Sao Paulo, uh, where you're like, I don't speak the language and I know I want to benefit this community, but where is my money actually going? Um, So one of our solutions to this is the TSG Coalition, and it is an alliance of businesses that are committed to sustainability. And so we work with them in two ways. Um, One of them is just by hosting these coalition style meetings. Um, They're one type of an event that we host and we basically bring in different business owners that deal with inbound tourists. So anything ranging from a hotel to a tour operator that's dealing with an inbound tourist. And then we'll ask them, what are the biggest problems that you're seeing in your community? So, for example... San Francisco, Um, a common theme that they heard over and over again was over tourism. Um, They have these highly densely populated tourism areas that are, they have too many tourists that are coming into them. And then other areas that need more tourists. Mm -hmm. So that was just a common theme that they saw over and over again. And so we take those coalition members and then those are the initiatives that we help to shape the curriculum for those hubs throughout the year based on feedback from those business owners. And then the other side of that, which is really exciting, is that those businesses are all committed to sustainability. We're working with them um, to educate them on what a sustainable business actually looks like through, we use the GSTC, which is the Global Sustainable Tourism Council. They have a criteria for what makes a sustainable business. Sustainable Travel International also has a really great travel better program for travelers. So we start educating them on these things that have to do with what sustainable tourism actually looks like from a very holistic approach. And then that becomes a tool that travelers can use when they're going somewhere to know that they are positively impacting that community.
0: Oh, wow. That's really cool. And I, I cut you off. You were going to tell me a little bit about, you were going to contrast what was happening in New Orleans with Chicago.
1: So... Yes, yeah, so all the tangents. Um.
0: <laughs> I told you, this whole this podcast whole is nothing. I should call it a tangent. It be my, my new name.
1: So, New Orleans is a very traditional hub. They've said from the start that they wanted to um, really focus on those meetings with the local stakeholders and find out what those local issues are and then identify ways that they can tackle those issues. And then, on the other hand, I always use these two as a 180 from one another, but our Chicago hub. As said from the start, um, Chicago is a really fun city. We have a lot of transplants here. We have a lot of new people coming in and out, and people that are just excited to get involved and find new ways to connect with one another. So our hub in Chicago developed a giving social program where they basically partner with a local nonprofit and they do a networking event that is focused on education for them in some way. So whether that is something as simple as getting together and drinking local craft brew, or doing like a craft day or something like that, that somehow reflects the theme of what the nonprofit is doing. And then they do fundraising for them. Okay. So all of the all hubs right. are like, it's cool to see how they take shape. Cause they all have like a little bit of their own ideas, right. but then they're also connected through the global network and they all have innovative ways of achieving the same goal. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. As far as seeing impact, you know, you're talking about a lot of really good things. Have you been able to get back, I guess I'm asking like seven questions here, but have you been able to, let's go with this one. Have you been able to like see like, oh, okay, we did this or we accomplished this. I mean, it sounds like you're doing a lot of really good things. So, Have you seen any like uh, results that you could talk about?
1: So I think the chief ways that we are measuring impact at this point are, first of all, just the amount of events that we're hosting. We're also measuring the amount of people within our community. When you start to look at the individual hubs and the impact that they're doing. They're all excited to share the lessons that they've learned as well with pretty much anyone else in the world. Mm-hmm. I think we're, we're a very, very collaboration forward community. Um, and when we find something that's working, it's not that we want to hide it. It's that we want to say like, hey, like here's this really great business model. Um, here's how you can put it into your own business as well. So, for example, I was just on a call with our lead coordinator in Kathmandu um, the other day, and he was talking about they have this really cool program where they're working with different communities to set up homestays. And in doing so, they're having travelers come in and really see a firsthand experience of what it's actually like to live in Kathmandu. And then at the same time, they're developing these initiatives to to have a holistic approach to the way those tourism dollars are being spent and making sure that it stays in the local community. And then also that those the profits from that are going back into empowering the communities through things they have a really great women's empowerment program, they have a really great education program. They're also talking to communities about, um, we were just talking about TripAdvisor. And so they're educating them on like social media and encouraging any of the local business owners who are dealing with inbound tourists to just use TripAdvisor and say, hey, like, by the way, if you tell your customers to review us on here, we could be number one rated and then more people will know about us and more people will come. And so you have really cool stories like that that become very powerful I think very quickly again when you think of it in terms of just like I want to stay in someone's house in Kathmandu like that sounds (laughs) amazing and if you could do that and then also know that you are helping to fund a women's entrepreneurship program mm-hmm. at the same time, like icing on the cake.
0: What are some of the like, most surprising places that you've gotten requests to be a hub or that have become hubs?
1: I, I, again, like I think it's just really cool to be in the United States and to start to see these different pockets around the world and to be able to connect those dots and so, It's just really growing organically on its own. And so I'm able to, like, I've talked to people in London who know people in Barcelona who are like, you need to talk to this person in Prague. Uh, We had a really cool event in our hub in Tunisia, um, and they actually Skyped me in for it. And then we had one of our hub leaders from San Francisco that was in Tunisia at the time. So she spoke in person. And then we also had someone from St. Petersburg Skype then. So it was like a really interesting, like global sort of network of everyone coming together. I wasn't even in New York at the time. I can't remember where I was, but I literally like got off an airport and then like it opened my computer and I was like, hi guys. (laughs) Right. So um so there's really it's interesting how again, like you're able to start to connect those dots between change makers around the world. But, uh, i'm really excited for some of our newer hubs um we just onboarded a hub in toronto and one in sao paulo um, sao paulo is having their launch soon again um, probably by the time this airs they will have already officially launched um, but it's really cool to see like our words that we've created for tsg have been translated into portuguese they've been translated into greek and they've been translated into french Uh, and so like that is really really cool to see
0: have you had a chance to i mean at some at some point have you been able to visit in with some like as you're traveling have you been able to stop by some of the uh, other hubs and and see what they're up to
1: i've met i feel fortunate that i live in new york because a lot of our leaders have visited in new york and i've had the opportunity to meet them i went to my first tsg event that wasn't in new york for the first time last October, and I moderated a panel. Um, it was all hosted and set up by the Austin Hub. Um,
0: oh, that's really cool. You mentioned the event that's happening in November. Maybe yes. can you tell me a little bit about what you uh, are doing then, or what's gonna happen?
1: I am so excited for this year's <laughs> summit. We have a lot of new surprises in store. We've learned a lot from the previous summits that we've done just as far as hosting an effective event. So this year we have an incredible team on board. We have a really great theme that I cannot announce just yet, but it is really exciting and like a direct correlation to our theme from last year, um, which is how do we mainstream sustainable tourism. So our theme this year is what we believe is the first step in order to do that. Okay. Actually, let me take a big step back and just say what the summit is. So the summit is our our biggest event of the year. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's what really sets the tone for our organization and our other initiatives throughout the year. And it is based around a core theme and a core challenge. We take a really critical look at the current state of the industry and we say, how can we improve it from where it's at right now? And then the core part of it instead of just being another conference where you get talked at by other experts that you may or may not resonate with, Mm -hmm. and then you may or may not leave feeling inspired and then have to do things on your own. Our goal is to really focus it on a design thinking session and the design thinking session, um, to break that down really what it is, is different workshops and activations that are geared at finding concrete solutions to push the industry forward. So after the summit, we build out white papers that basically say here's all of the really cool ideas that came out of the summit. We work together to come up with these solutions, again, based around the core challenge and the core theme. And then anyone can implement those ideas into their business model in whatever way that they see fit. So yeah, so that's this November 16th and 17th here in New York City. I'm very, very excited for it.
0: Oh, that sounds really interesting. I I, I like the idea of uh of having it more hands-on like that, where people can walk away with things versus just kind of listening?
1: So one of the the really cool announcements that we made at last year's summit was that the Ritz-Carlton implemented an idea from a previous one into their hotels worldwide. So actually any Ritz-Carlton that you go to, you can request impact experiences, which were modeled after a summit idea. Um, So you can go into a conference, and again, like a local mom-and-pop, hotel, boutique hotel could implement that idea, or the Ritz-Carlton could implement
0: it. Okay, cool. You have mentioned uh, earlier that, that the media network, so maybe you could talk to me a little bit more about like how that works and how that helps the organization.
1: So as I mentioned, my background is in journalism. When I graduated from college, it was really, you are kind of faced with what feels like two paths Um, you can kind of do the traditional path and do print journalism whether that's a newspaper or a magazine or anything like that or you can do the travel blogging route and then also a lot of people switch into PR because that's where money is Um, so you're faced with all of these different ideas for how content creation could be impactful and you are forced to decide which path is right for you and then consumers in turn are really riddled with like What is real news? (laughs) Where can I find something um, that I can actually rely on? Um, And so the TSG Media Network is an alliance of content creators. It ranges from traditional journalists, like someone at AFAR or the New York Times, down to a travel blogger, down to a social media influencer, particularly people who have really active and engaged followings on Instagram. They're all united by a common passion for sustainable tourism and they work together to cross collaborate and promote one another's ideas so you could have um, someone with 200,000 followers on Instagram working um, that has doesn't have like a website or use the written word for the most part they have the the shorter captions and then you partner them with a travel blogger who's getting 200,000 views on their travel blog and so that becomes a very powerful collaboration very quickly and because they're both focused on the core essence of what good storytelling is, which would be good journalism, <laughs> you're able to really amplify that message in a very unique and exciting way. So I think I I again like coming from like I'm a travel blogger, coming from a place of I do photography and I do writing and to be able to share those messages through content creation and then to find other innovative individuals who are doing something similar and be able to partner with them. I think it's really exciting when you can start to partner up on like different levels of creativity.
0: And you, you mentioned your own blog. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So my blog is called The Culture Collective,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm very much focused on travel and impact, of course. I have three main tracks that I write about. One is for the traveler, one for the change maker, and one for the entrepreneur. And the entrepreneur track is actually, um, it's newer. it's It's been within the last six months or so that I started writing about it. But it's been a really fun way to kind of express how TSG is growing or how there's really great, I'm really passionate about like women's entrepreneurship um, and finding different communities to work with and collaborate with one another. And so that's been a cool resource to start to build out different lessons that I've learned in the time that I've been doing this, because I think even... If you look back at where you were a year ago, there's so much that you can learn. So even if I can help someone who's in my position a year ago now, that becomes powerful very
0: quickly. Very nice. Probably had my longest interview uh, so far with Kelly, and yet got the sense that we were just scratching the surface of what she and the hubs have been up to. So uh, definitely go check out more information. I got links on the website. So uh, now I'd like to turn to my interview with Nesri, who is uh, again my coworker and a friend, and one of the busiest people I know. She's always got something uh, cooking, but also is a total ball of energy and um, She has been telling me about the work of Brooklyn Center for Quality Life for a little while now, so I was excited that I was able to get her to sit down with me and tell me a little bit about what they do and some of the cool stories that she's gotten from that experience. So here's my interview with... a little bit about the Brooklyn, Brooklyn
2: Center for Quality Life.
0: Awesome.
2: Yeah. Okay. So the Brooklyn Center for Quality Life, or BCQL, is a community outreach entity which is located in East Flatbush, Brooklyn. We serve a predominantly uh, West Indian population. These are individuals who are undocumented for the most part, who are at A large deficit. Some of these individuals are undereducated, they're underpaid, and so they have various needs. And this is kind of where we come in. Uh, We do a lot of like immigration clinics, we do health fairs, we do um, emergency preparedness sessions, we partner with the Red Cross, we've partnered with Operation Hope, which offers financial counseling to individuals one-on-one and no cost to them as well. And we also have a food pantry. Every Saturday for the past few months, we have a um, a farmer's market. So every Saturday from about 5 p.m. to about 6 p.m. or 6.30, depending on how much, how long the items last, we get fresh fruits and vegetables from a farmer's market that whatever items didn't sell, they'll bring it to us. And we basically just give it away for free to the individual. So it's super cool individuals come from sometimes 12 p.m. They come and they line up wow. waiting for, because I guess the truck comes in front of our our church and they drop it off. We set it up, but individuals will come like for hours and literally stand outside and wait. Even though we tell them, come inside, you know, have <laughs> a seat, enjoy the services and just like, no, I'm just here. But, you know, you meet a lot of really good people, you know, and From that, we've been able to build a lot of really good relationships with individuals. So what we also do um, on BCQL, every year we have a back-to-school fair. So what we do is we package book bags with school supplies to give out to the children in the community and whoever comes to the fair. It's not limited to those who live in East Flatbush, Brooklyn. So from the farmer's market, we've been able to make some really good relationships with individuals who then for this year's fair, which was in August, who came in and they just kind of did everything for us in terms of helping us to set up and clean up, even giving us supplies. It was amazing. It was really, really, really cool. So yeah, BCPO is doing a lot of great things. I so think. So you,
0: you, basically, you, you, really think about like what are some of the things that the the immigrant undocumented population, population needs, needs, and exactly. then you try to move to fill that exactly.
2: space. Exactly. Um. Recently, there was a scare. Um. With the ICE rates. Okay. Um, so there were individuals who were literally afraid to leave their homes. Mm-hmm. So we had a townhouse meeting. This was by far the biggest turnout I've ever seen of any event we've ever had. People were literally afraid. And we had individuals come, Legal Aid Society, CAMBA, various organizations who came in to, like, you know, educate them and let them know what your rights are. You might be undocumented, but you still have rights. And it was just amazing because you hear the horror stories and you realize that people are literally living in fear. And you hear it, but it's not until it hits you, like I guess, like face to face, that you understand sure. the magnitude of, you know, the pressures that they're underneath, like the emotional distress, the mental distress, the physical distress. People who don't eat because they're so afraid of being arrested and deported, you know.
0: So did, did people get up and, like, t- talk about their stories? Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, people were just saying how they heard about various raids at various local um, stores in the area um, and just saying that they didn't want to leave their homes or individuals not sending their children to school out of fear that, you know, um, children will get will be followed home or, you know. It's just, it was really sad. You know, I'm documented, but at the same time, I wasn't always documented, mm-hmm. and a lot of my friends are not documented, you know? So it, it, um, it really hits home for me. So this is why I love the work BCQL does, because I am from an immigrant family. And while my immediate family, we are documented, the majority of my family is not documented. So these are issues that directly impact me. Uh, which is why I'm proud of the work, like I said, because what we do is we listen to the needs of the community and we provide services based on their needs right. so it's not just us arbitrarily saying we're going to give you this, we're going to do that it's what do you need you know so
0: in the um in the the time that the you've been there, like what are some of the standout moments for you like what are or really like what are some of the standout uh, people that your organization has helped can you does anything jump to mind yes. is like
2: a- I had all a kids fear this year um I would say normally our kids fear most of the children who come out are you know predominantly African- American you know which is fine but at this year's kids Fair we had like children from who were Asian and we were just like wow this is amazing because finally we've been trying to go out of our demographic to get the word out a lot more right. and I don't know what we're doing but we're doing something right <laughs> that now these individuals are hearing about us and yeah. now they're coming in they were so so many children bill like this was by far our largest that one day alone we gave away probably I want to say 200 backpacks filled with supplies um, the week before we had given away 50 to a shelter we also adopted a shelter <laughs> Our non-profit right. so we had given them 50 backpacks worth of uh, supplies and the week before that we had given another nonprofit 50 backpacks as well so it's like wow like finally we've been here for so long kind of under the radar which is fine we're doing what we have to do but now it's like we're seeing people they understand that we are here this you know, we, we, we can definitely help you and just come partake of our services because right. we have a full pantry we've had a full pantry for years actually my sister started the food pantry and this was actually while she was in uh, grad school at Stony Brook it was part of her thesis I think and from her thesis we were able to create a food pantry off of that oh, wow. um, yeah it's amazing so the food pantry has been operation for almost mm-hmm. since it's been almost ten years I want to say we've had the food pantry too and now with the farmers market this is our second year with the farmers market so I'm just hoping that we can continue and we'll have the farmers market until November and they've been coming to us since I want to say like May or June every Saturday uh, yeah that's, all know, like food, that's a lot of food it's like <laughs> joke um, see all joke we are so over zucchini and squash so every Saturday <laughs> they drop all bags of zucchini and squash and I think we've exhausted recipes for zucchini and squash. I do not want to see another hmm. squash or zucchini. I mean, I like the breads. I like the little, I don't know, lasagna-esque, you know, zucchini, whatever. But we are so over zucchini and squash. But for some reason, people, I don't know they just don't care for it, but it's always, like, left over in droves. Right. Oh, my God. There was this one time, too, when we got crates upon crates upon crates of cilantro. Crates of cilantro <laughs> to the point where we were telling people just take a whole crate, right. like it was probably like 50 plus crates of just cilantro. Right. And we're just like, What are we going to do with all this cilantro? I don't know what happened to it, it went though, <laughs> not in that one day, but it went. But we were just like, What are we going to do with all this cilantro? It was just, it's funny,
0: yeah, cool. So, you've uh, do you have a favorite moment that jumps out to you from all the time of doing this?
2: Favorite moment. I mean, honestly, I'm just a people's person. So I just love the people who like to come and interact with me. Um, some of the our individuals are an older, West Indian women who are very candid and just very straight up. And it's just their humor. It's just hilarious. So some of the jokes, a little bit inappropriate. I won't go into detail. But it's just, I'm just happy that they've gotten to a level of comfort. Mm-hmm. where they can come and kid with us and just say, you know, sweetie, let me do this for you. Let me take care of this for you. You have a load off, you know. So those are, I think, my, are my favorite moments, you know, mm-hmm. the the relationships that are being formed from these various events that we're hosting. Um, what else? Oh, yeah. Actually, something that did, one of my, that warms my heart. So our projector was, went missing, I'll say, for a lack of better terms, Right. And we had no idea what happened to it. So we um actually we're so familiar now with the dynamics of the area that we kind of know who to go to if something kinda of goes awry. So we was we were able to, you know, um make contact with the gentleman who was pretty connected with the individuals in the area. And I wanna say less than two days later the projector was returned. Really? Yes. And that was just like, okay, it was returned. Everything that was taken with it came right back. Mm. And there was no this person took it, that person. We didn't care.
0: Right. It so came back. Project
2: it? We just our it back. But how often does that happen? Right. You know, this is a pretty expensive instrument here, you right. know? So that was just like okay, you know, like it only took ten years of you know, <laughs> but okay, like finally
0: you're established. We're
2: established. So that was that was actually really cool. We, right. we weren't expecting it, you know. We were just like, you know, if you know anything, just let us know. And less than two weeks later, here it is, you know. Right. So that's one of my fondest memories, I have to say, right. so far with being involved with um, BCQL. Cool.
0: Yeah. So what's uh. What do you got in store for the future?
2: Well, we're going to continue doing our immigration forums. We're going to keep doing our health fairs, our uh, the kids fair. It's always something. Those you are know, like our, our big ticket items: immigration clinics, the health fairs, kids fair, um, the food pantry. That's a staple. That's every second Sunday. Um, of the month from, I want to say from 10 to 12, but individuals are there from like seven in the morning. So it's kind of like until (laughs) the food runs out. Um, So we're just actually hoping to get more funding because there's definitely a need. You know, mm-hmm. so right now I know we are trying to get more funding so we can probably extend our food pantry to probably more than once a month, perhaps. Which is definitely something that we will want to do. We're hoping. And the funding would
0: help with get more food or get a bigger space. Or? Um,
2: more food. Our space I think is decent enough. Um, the the space is efficient enough. The farmers market as well, hoping that 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 can be continuous because it's kind of we don't really know when. Like we know they'll be here until. November, mm-hmm. But for the years to come, we don't know if, you know, it'll be something that we'll partner with them with. Right. So we're just hoping... Because people have come to depend on it, you know. And right. um, while you might see the same people week after week, we know for a fact that food is being needed. You know, they're taking it. I know for a fact it's benefiting somebody. And sometimes right. they'll come and they'll say, listen, I'm taking for my neighbor. And we encourage it because it's free food. Right. And we can't eat all of it. So right. just take it in right you know and and then you know what it is also it's encouraging healthier lifestyles which this is good because some individuals come and they say I juice a lot you know and I come in every week to get my ingredients to juice we've even had an individual who works at the local Chinese restaurant come to get vegetables to take it back to the restaurant Listen, we're supporting businesses, all right? <laughs> so he comes, he stands online, and I mean, I go to the restaurant often enough, so I know he works at the restaurant, right. and he'll come and he'll get his scallions and his celery and his veggies, and he takes them back to the restaurant, right. you know? So we're supporting local businesses, too, through right. this, you know, farmer's market. So, yeah, <laughs> basically, well, like, it's funny how you do a lot, and sometimes it's hard for me to verbalize all that we do. We do a lot, but you don't sure. think about it, you know? Or you don't think about the... um. The relationship or the reach that you're having, mm-hmm. which is why I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to say. But now that I think about it, I'm just like, wow, like there's so much that we do do. You mm-hmm. know, and it's, it's a very small team of us. We all work full-time jobs. Some are married, some have children. So this is something that we just kind of do, you know, we make time mm-hmm. for it, of course, but... You're volunteers, right? Yeah, we're volunteers. Is Nobody it, gets paid. Right, it's
0: completely volunteer-run. <laughs> it's
2: completely volunteer-run. Completely, right. completely. Matter of fact, our president, Pastor Gilford rose he, this man, I don't even know. He works at Borough Hall. He's a chaplain, which means that whenever there is like a shooting in Brooklyn, he has to go on site. Mm-hmm. He's like the clergy, clums, clergy council representative at Borough Hall to President Eric Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's his advisor on everything clergy related. I don't even know how he has time sure. yeah. to be president of a nonprofit organization, but he gets it done. And sometimes we still text me at six in the morning. I'm just like, listen, it's too early, <laughs> you know, it's too early, but it's, I like it. You know, it's a small team, but we're very close. You know, we're very intimate. Mm-hmm. We're very connected. We know, you know, what makes us go. We
0: so you have a farmer's market every month, and then you also have an upcoming health fair that you're not sure about yet. You're but, right. Yep. So tell me a little bit so, when those are.
2: food pantry is every second Sunday mm-hmm. of the month. The farmer's market is every Saturday of the month until oh, November. Okay. Um, health fair will be upcoming. Don't have the date for that. And, and there's two events that I will definitely have by the end of the year is, is the immigration clinic and the health fair.
0: And those will be before the end of this before year. The of the do year. you know what month they might
2: be? I do not know, but I would. we're in October, so I would think it's going to be in December sometime pretty soon. Gotcha. Pretty soon, yeah. All right, beautiful.
0: Thank you for talking to me. <laughs>
2: Thank you for having me. <laughs>
0: Okay, another main interview with Ness from Brooklyn Center for Quality Life. I want to thank uh her and Kelly for sitting down and taking some time to tell me about both of their organizations. And um, that's it for this episode. I will say that a lot of times I end my episodes with some silly thing that happened during recording. Usually it's self explanatory. This one's a little bit uh requires a little context. As I was interviewing Kelly, um her cat decided to jump onto my lap, but it couldn't quite get there. I think we were sitting in taller chairs or taller stools, and so it kind of did like a wily E. Coyote. It got almost there and then extended its little uh, feet and tried to hold on as it was sliding slowly backwards off of my legs, And but the claws went into my leg. I was not expecting it at all, so I was really shocked but you'll hear that at the end of this episode. All right, thanks for listening. Hopefully, we'll be back uh, probably next month with something new. It's just very reaffirming to know that you... <laughs> Oh, so I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> I didn't care that he jumped in my lap, it was just to really get the claws in there. <laughs> so I'm sorry if I freaked out. <laughs> Surprised. <laughs> oh, it's too bad that I don't do video. It just scared me. I, I'm so sorry I'm so, I think I actually I feel bad. I should I'm, oh I'm sorry if I whacked it off of he my leg. That. <laughs> Oh, what was the question I was going to ask <laughs> <laughs> um, uh,
1: we were talking about impact and things around the yeah, world yeah the cat wanted to get involved the cat made an
0: impact <laughs>